Blog Talk Radio. What we need is some sort of revolution. Pain and greed, there's gotta be retribution. Do we all just run and hide? Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Stain Sports Podcast. That, as always, is Cody Canada and the Departed leading us in. My name is Sean Kernahan, joined as always by Torsten Sporn as we get ready to take a look at the uh, most intriguing moves of the NFL offseason thus far. Not necessarily the biggest, not necessarily the biggest name, but what uh, jumped out to us and what was most intriguing to us. How's it going, Torsten? It's going spectacularly well, and I would like to start off today's podcast by congratulating my wife, who is participating in her first ever fantasy baseball mock draft. Uh, she will be joining a league in which Sean and I both play, and no, I will not be helping her. But I'm proud of her, and this is going to be a great thing. Okay, back to football. What do you got? You're here? actually kicking her out of the house to make sure that uh, she gets help <laughs> elsewhere, so you can focus on your own team, so you can crush her during the during the actual league, as you should. Well done. Thank you very much. I wouldn't want her drafting Darwin Barney, but it might happen anyway. <laughs> uh, let's go ahead, and I, I figured. Let's just get the the one uh, topic out of the way that I'm sure it, it would you and I would bring up uh, very early on. That's Greg Hardy to the Cowboys. Um, if I don't bring it up, I'm sure you'd bring it up to me. So let's go ahead and and start there. Um, and I'm gonna just kind of say something that I I said early on uh, during the. NFL season when the Adrian Peterson and the Ray Rice things were happening. And that is that, you know, we can all throw, throw our hands up and and complain about uh, teams signing uh, people who are accused of, guilty of, and then later innocent of uh, domestic violence issues. And, and we can all raise a fuss about it. Um, but I'm still participating in fantasy football leagues. I'm still going to watch the NFL, um, and I'm still going to enjoy the game. You know, at, at a certain point, you know, if, if I really wanted to do something about it, you know, we would all have to stop watching the games and all of that. So I could, you can raise a fuss and say, you know, how dare the Cowboys sign uh, somebody who has that questionable past, which has been brought up many, many times, especially with, uh, I know Jerry Jones' daughter has been outspoken against domestic violence, as has the whole Cowboys organization. But he's a guy that can come in to a defense that needs, that struggles to get to the quarterback, and he is somebody that puts up excellent sack numbers. And from a pure football point of view, which is really what it comes down to in the end, because in the end it is a business and he makes you money and sacks are fun and sacks get the crowd excited. You know, I don't like the guy, but I like the signing for the football side of things. What about you? Well, yeah, I mean, he's a great football player. And, uh, you know, here's the thing. Uh, there are very few things uh, that are as disgusting as domestic violence. There's not a man-on-woman thing or anything like that, but anything in the home, you know, whether it's your your children, your spouse, you know, husband, wife, if it's, you know, any loved one, uh Domestic violence is absolutely despicable and abhorrent. Now, the thing is, and I don't like to get political, but, you know, this is America and their second chances, and people commit crimes, 
people make terrible mistakes and then they kind of they they serve their sentence so to speak and then they get a second chance you know uh you know obviously unless you're a, a murderer or something like that but you get second chances and one of the things that should not be taken away from somebody once they have served their sentence for committing their crime once they have been duly punished they should be able to then try to make a living again and Greg Hardy's a football player he uh was accused of a very very severe domestic violence situation there are some complications with the court stuff and I don't really want to go into you know the the appeal and, you know, the, the rehearing and then a supposed settlement behind closed doors and then they couldn't find the victim and all that stuff. That doesn't matter. Essentially, the guy did something terrible, allegedly. Um, I guess we have to use allegedly because, you know, the, the, the gavel was never slammed down with the word guilty or whatever. But, you know, he allegedly did something terrible. He missed an entire football season for the most part. He basically didn't get to play at all last year, nor should he have been allowed to get to play last year. And now he, as much as I don't like the guy, he should be able to get a second chance to make a living. And then if he does anything like this again, a lifetime ban is absolutely appropriate, not to mention prison time. But in the meantime, this is now a second chance for him. He should be allowed to play until he screws up again. And the Cowboys made a very astute move. Uh, it might piss a lot of people off in Dallas uh, because they're not getting a quality human being, at least on the surface. You know, people do make mistakes. Um, and, you know, I want to say real quick, I want to get off topic here real quick. Um, I don't want to sound like I'm speaking from a soapbox or a high horse because I'm not. Um, I've made terrible mistakes in my past, too. For example, uh, seven, eight years ago now, I was arrested for drunk driving. It's one of the stupidest things that you can possibly do. You put yourself, your loved ones, others in danger. And if you get, you know, if you do that, you deserve to get punished and pay thousands of dollars and go to jail. That's what happened to me, and now I don't freaking do it anymore. Okay, so hopefully Greg Hardy learns the same lesson with his domestic violence issues as I learned with my drunk driving arrest. But I've gotten a second chance at life. I have a good job. I make a good living. I have a great wife. I've got good friends like yourself and plenty of others. And, you know, the, these things aren't held against me anymore, and I don't make the same mistakes twice. So we can hope that Greg Hardy doesn't do that. And uh, hopefully for the Cowboys, uh, for the Cowboys' sake and their fans and their ownership and management, that Greg Hardy turns his life around as a human being, focuses on football, and does a great job for him. The talent is there. The need was obviously there on defense because, you know, the, the sack numbers for the Cowboys were not that impressive last year. That's what he does. And from a business perspective and a football perspective, it's a superb signing for them. Sorry for getting off topic there, but that's my piece. No, absolutely. And, you know, it's been a while since we talked to the NFL, and we're talking about the intriguing moves. And really they're, they're still as intriguing on a multi-level facet than the Greg Hardy uh, situation, which is why I wanted to open with that. But now that we've got that one out of the way, what uh, what other moves have – uh, intrigued you so far this NFL offseason? Well, there's a big one. Um, it's And it's uh, the signing by the Cardinals of offensive guard Mikey Yapati from the uh, 49ers. This is a guy that is probably a little bit unheralded, but he's a superb run blocker. And the Cardinals have a very unique talent in their backfield named Andre Ellington. And the offensive line has been a consistent issue for the Cardinals 
for a couple of years now. They've spent some high draft picks, and the kids that they drafted are starting to round into form. You know, Bobby Massey comes to mind. Um, but they really got a road paver in the run game here with Mike Ayupati. He's not flashy. This is not like, you know, uh, the star quarterback getting traded or a, the running back signing a $15 million a year contract. This is a guy who does the dirty work. And, you know, the, there's some great young receivers, and Carson Palmer's still an excellent quarterback at age 73 or whatever he is. But if you want to have time for your passer, you've got to be able to run the ball, and they're really going to be able to run the ball with Mike Ayupadia at offensive guard for the Cardinals. I think this was an excellent signing. It upsets me because I was hoping the Rams would get him. As a Rams fan, they have a huge need on the offensive line. But, you know, the Cardinals jumped in there and, in my opinion, made a spectacular move there. This is going to be the thing that I think really vaults them to a contender for the NFC West title. Yeah, definitely. Ayupati is a guy that I, I did a highlight here for this as well. Uh, he goes in division from the 49ers to the Cardinals. Um, you know, Jonathan Cooper was a first-round pick in uh, 2013. He's on the, the left guard. Ayupati fills in on the right guard. Um, they've got a uh, really good offensive line. Oh, I'm not going to say really good offensive line. They've got a very uh, much improving offensive line with a ton of talent. Uh, whether or not they can turn that into good offensive line play is still a little bit in question uh, as uh, you can see by the fact that they had multiple quarterbacks knocked out of uh, uh, games and for the season exactly. last year. Uh, so, and Andre Ellington's a, a very, like I said, he's a dynamic player. He can get outside. He, he's uh, good in space. Um, but guys like Kerwin Williams, who somehow had some really good games, and a guy like Stephon Taylor, uh, they can run up the middle right behind Ayupati and then have Ellington become more of a um, big play guy. Uh, I, I really like that move, and it was one of those that, I agree. It was one kind of snug under the radar a little bit, but it's going to make a huge difference in that division. Now, this one didn't exactly fly under the radar, but it's in that division, and we got to talk about it just because you add Jimmy Graham to the team that won the Super Bowl two years ago, was in the Super Bowl last year and lost on a play um, down at the goal line. Uh, Jimmy Graham is now a Seahawk, a first-round pick, and the center Max Unger goes to the Saints. I don't know what the Saints are doing. Are they reloading? Are they re- are they um, you know starting to rebuild? I don't quite get that move when they made Jimmy Graham the highest-paid tight end last year, but now he's up in the Northeast. I'm sorry, Northwest, um, to make a one of the best teams in the NFL even better and the Saints, to me, get worse. Well, yeah, uh, probably. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. Uh, if, you, if you asked somebody who is the best tight end in football, you'd probably get uh, the answer of either Jimmy Graham or Rob Gronkowski, and whoever ends up being in third place and farther down the list is distant. Um it's, I, I think it's a great piece of business for the Seahawks. Obviously, Max Unger is a spectacularly good center. Um, but it, I, I think that you know Pete Carroll and the gang up in Seattle know what they're doing, and if they're going to get rid of a guy like Unger, they probably had a succession plan in place. Um, 
and we'll have somebody slot in there somewhat seamlessly. And you know what? Uh, Beast mode Marshawn Lynch doesn't really do a whole lot of running over the center anyway. He usually runs over the guard. So I don't think the run blocking is going to suffer there. I think they're not the same player, but I think that Russ Wilson is every bit the same quality of quarterback as Drew Brees is. So uh, from a fantasy perspective anyway, Jimmy Graham's numbers shouldn't suffer. Um, as far as the Saints go, uh, I'm as everybody's confused as you are. Um, I don't think that this team was that far away from being a serious contender. I think they had serious holds on the defense. But, you know, there's uh, there are a lot of good defensive players in the draft this year. There were some available on free agency that they could have gone after. I don't know what their cap situation is. Maybe their cap situation was bad and they felt like they had to get rid of Jimmy Graham. They've, or maybe they were... They've been one of the oh, worst for a couple of years now. They've been one of the worst cap situation-wise for a couple of years now. Uh, so that probably yeah, that had a lot sense. to do with it. Yeah, and maybe they were pissed off at the way that, uh, you know, he handled his contract renegotiation and tried to classify himself as a pass catcher instead of a tight end. I mean, the bottom line is, you know, he should have been paid like a receiver, but... You know, they, uh, I, I think the Saints got a little bit worse here, but not just with him uh, with him going. I think it's, you know, Kenny Stills departing, and I, I think they're trying to do something different in New Orleans. I don't know what the hell it is, but I think they're going to try to do something different there. Um, did you have anything you wanted to add on this, or did you want me to bring up the next one? You know, I'm actually going to uh, try and segue off of that one uh, with a different question. Um, Jimmy Graham right. is no longer no, – Jimmy Graham is no longer the highest-paid tight end in football. Do you know who is? Um, if I had to guess, it'd probably be Julius Thomas, right? Because he was the most recent big guy signed. No, it is Charles friggin' Clay who went to oh, Buffalo with a transition tag. That I <laughs> do not understand, and it's completely the Bills. They're bringing Sean McCoy. They're bringing new quarterbacks. But to me, spending, making Charles Clay the highest paid tight end in all of football is I, I get they had to try and take him away from a, a division rival, but what is Buffalo doing there? <laughs> well, you know, uh, I'm going to make a confession here for everybody to hear, including yourself. I actually had Charles Clay down as a good addition for Buffalo. I didn't realize what they were paying him, apparently, because if he's not the best tight end out there, nor should he be paid like the best tight end. But the guy is an absolute hell of a football player. He's a good pass catcher, and uh, he's quietly excellent in blitz pickup. He's willing to do some dirty work. And, you know, I'm I'm actually – I'm becoming a bigger and bigger fan of Ryan Tannehill in Miami with every passing season. But he's not been the greatest or most accurate quarterback, yet Charles Clay – the injuries this last season notwithstanding. But, you know, uh, he's he's performed, and – you know, it's it's a little bit under the radar, but if you look at his numbers, and more than that, if you just watch him play, he does the right thing a lot, and he's a very, very good football top short of calling him great. So if he truly is the highest-paid guy at the tight end position, that, that that's a bit confusing to me. But I do – I will say this about Buffalo in general, and, you know, with the LaShawn McCoy signing – you know, and that's fine here and there. They maybe, you know, gave up a lot or gave up a little or they're paying him too much without a contract extension. But they're aggressively trying to get better. They have a great defense. They're trying to make that offense move up to that level that the defense is playing or at least to a competitive level. 
if they get halfway decent quarterback play, that's a playoff team now, and it's because they're making aggressive additions on offense. Yeah, I actually really do like Charles Clay, too. And in, in uh, this coming season, he's not going to cost the Bills all that much. Uh, it's, it's $26 million guaranteed over five years, but $11.5 million of that is guaranteed in next year alone with a $13.5 million cap hit for a guy who's a really good football player, but not a $13 million a year football player. Definitely not. Going with the next one. All right. Who do you got next? Well, uh, you and I briefly talked about this over text message uh, last week, but I had uh, I have Nick Fairley going to the Rams on a one-year quote-unquote prove-it deal uh, to play uh, defensive tackle in their 4-3 defense. And uh, I'm usually the more pessimistic of the Homer fans, and I, I loudly criticize Jeff Fisher and Les Mean for their personnel decisions. But I think this was a spectacular pickup for the Rams because talent has never been the issue with Nick Fairley. It's been, you know, weight control and motivation. And for all of his shortcomings as a coach, uh, Jeff Fisher's problem has never been extracting the best out of guys that maybe have some question marks behind their names. And, uh, you know, I'll freely admit again, when the Rams drafted Aaron Donald in the first round last year, I was screaming to the high heavens, what the hell do we need another defensive lineman for? Yeah, the guy's good, but for God's sake, we have other problems. Well, uh, I didn't realize he was going to turn out to be one of the best football players in the NFL as a rookie, irrespective of position. And, uh, you know, we have a huge upgrade. I, I keep saying we, I should say the Rams have a huge upgrade now at the defensive tackle position over Kendall Langford with Nick Fairley. And, uh, you know, the more I look at this acquisition, the more I, and as well as other Rams fans, should be thrilled with it. What are your feelings on that one? They have a front five, not a front four, but a front five because they're going to rotate some guys in. Of Chris Long, Aaron Bell, Michael Brockers, Robert Quinn, and Nick Fairley. Uh, that might be the best front of any team in the NFL. That defense, the defensive line is phenomenal. Um it's like I said, it, it it was a pick that I didn't see coming. I didn't completely understand it when it happened, but at the same time, it was one of those of like, well, you know, you're just gonna add, make a strength even stronger, and and why not? Um, so I I don't dislike the move. I I, I think that I feel bad for any team going up against that front. Uh, Again, I don't completely get it, but, hey, that's going to be a scary front to go against. Along those same lines, another intriguing move to me uh, came with the signing of a a defensive tackle. And the Houston Texans all of a sudden, because J.J. Watt wasn't enough, um, and drafting um, Jadavian Clowney last year wasn't enough. They have added Vince Wolfork to the middle of that line, who will also, by the way, mentor a guy who is very similar body style within uh, Lewis Nix III, who was picked in the third round last year. But now J.J. Watt, Vince Wolfork, Jared Crick, and Jadavian Clowney can line up on that uh, front line. The Houston Texans, if there's any team that has a better front front line, then the St. Louis Rams, it's the Houston Texans, thing, and in big part to that signing of Vince Wolfork. 
Oh, well, I'll tell you this. Um, Vince Wilfork is one of my favorite human beings in the entire National Football League. And, uh, you know, never mind that he's an excellent football player. He's a spectacular human being. He's kind, generous, and articulate, and just everything that you want from a person. It doesn't matter if you're a football team or an insurance company or a car dealership. You want people like Vince Wilfork in your organization. That was a wonderful piece of business by the Houston Texans to get Vince Wilfork. It's a giant loss for the Patriots. Um, I'm a little confused as to why they weren't more, you know, apt on keeping him, but I understand the age thing, you know, and guys that are in that 360 pound range, you know, just with the stress on the joints, they tend not to age well, but Wilfork can still play. And I don't really have a whole lot else to say other than the fact that that was, that, that was probably number one or two on my list of best off season moves. Great pickup by Houston and a great human being. Yeah, and that's going to be a whole lot of fun to watch. What else do you uh, find intriguing this offseason? Well, I I uh I was wondering if the uh if the Broncos were going to try to keep Julius Thomas and Demarius Thomas and wondering what they're going to do with Wes Welker. Uh, you know, when you have when you have a guy like Peyton Manning at quarterback, you want to have options in the passing game, and then you're essentially, you know, really tough to stop. And uh, it, this is probably one of those things that will qualify as deep under the radar. But I love uh, the Owen Daniels deal there. Um, I've always thought the guy was a little bit better than he got credit for. I don't think he's ever been in a situation where he had a really good quarterback throwing to him. You know, no disrespect to Matt Schaub, no disrespect to Joe Flacco. Um, they're not Peyton Manning, and Peyton Manning loves his tight ends. And, you know, if it, Owen Daniels is a guy good hands. You know, there's a little bit of there's some injury question marks there, but, you know, if he can figure out a way to stay healthy, we're looking at a guy you could end up with 80 catches, 1,200 yards, and 13 touchdowns from the tight end position. That's nothing to sneeze at, and the last I checked, they're really not paying him that much for it. They just kind of brought him in there. He could turn into a star. I, I mean, I you know maybe I'm overselling him a little bit, but what do you think about that? Not only is Owen Daniels going to be playing with the best quarterback uh, of his career, he's going back to play under the head coach uh, that he had his best years under, and Gary Kubiak is a new head coach over there in Denver. Um, I think right. when you I forgot about talk, that. Yeah, so he's back with Gary Kubiak and has Peyton Manning as his quarterback. Um, I, I think it's a great fit for him. Um, if you know you're starting to write up fantasy football sleepers now, Owen Daniels is the number one on my list. He's going to be sneaky good next year. I would not be surprised to see him catch double-digit touchdown passes, just because uh, um, you know he's a guy that. Is a big body down low who Peyton Manning you know tends to like, and I wouldn't be surprised if you know maybe the yards aren't there, but he catches potentially double-digit touchdowns. It would not shock me. And I thought that that was as somebody who's not a fan of Peyton Manning, I was upset to see that him go, Owen Daniels go there because I think it's such a great fit, and I don't want to see the Denver Broncos do well. So yes, that was a, a great move by them, and. and uh, I, I thought that was a really sneaky good move there. 
Yeah, and uh, no. I, I have one. I well, let let me bring this one up real quick because I don't. I know we're start, starting to run short on time here, but I think that this is uh this is something that uh, this is a a, a trade actually that is sort of uh, is glossed over and you know disregarded because of uh, the previous contract situation and and not the matching production. But what are your feelings on Mike Wallace to the Vikings? And I'll say that I like it because I really think that Teddy Bridgewater needed a deep passing threat to, uh, to kind of take his game to the next level and open things up underneath and in general in the passing game. What do you think about that move? This kind of goes – I didn't know how to fit this into a single move. This is kind of like a trio of moves that, that was intriguing to me. Um, the Mike Wallace up to Minnesota – uh, I don't know what to think of it. One of the big reasons I don't know what to think of it is Teddy Bridgewater isn't the big arm guy. That was the big uh, issue with him coming out of college. I think he's a very good quarterback. He's going to be a very good quarterback, um, but he's not the deep passer, and Mike Wallace is, is a, a deep threat. And especially at least one more year out in the uh, outdoors um, in Minnesota, that that could be pretty ugly to try and get the deep ball, and Mike Wallace isn't exactly somebody that's quiet when things aren't going his way. I think that could end up being backfiring on them a little bit. And, again, they didn't put in a whole lot of, um, you know, I think it was a it was a late-round pick. It was a fifth or a seventh-round pick for that. But that kind of goes into the whole kind of rotating of, of wide receivers and just pass catchers in general. Um, Mike Wallace going from Miami – to Minnesota, Miami brings in Jordan Cameron and Kenny Stills. They also lose uh, Brian Hartline, who goes to Cleveland, who, of course, had lost that Jordan Cameron down to Miami, who decided not to match the the transition tag for Charles Clay. Just a whole rotation of pass catchers in in that kind of trio of teams. Um, Really, to me, the one to look at is Miami. They have the deep threat in Kenny Stills. They have a very good tight end in Jordan Cameron, who's a better pass catcher than Charles Clay, but I'm not sure he's a better football player. Uh, I like what Jarvis uh, Landry did for them last year. He's a better version of Brian Hartline, and Kenny Stills is a younger version of Mike Wallace. You know, I think Miami eventually comes out kind of even. They're just younger uh, overall there. Um, but that whole shuffling of pass catchers I, I found fun to watch play out. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I, I always thought that Kenny Stills was going to be, at least us, you know, the last, last season especially, I thought he was going to be just a little bit better than he was. Um, you know, he might be a younger version of Mike Wallace, but I think he's also a younger, poorer man's version of Mike Wallace. Um, he could never really quite put it together. He had some great games, but he would disappear for weeks at a time. And as much as I'm becoming a fan of Ryan Tannehill, he's not anywhere near Drew Brees' level, you know, of quarterback efficiency and accuracy. So, I, you know, it, there's something to be said about a guy who can run a 4-3-40 and really stretch defenses. And Ryan Tannehill doesn't throw a bad deep ball. But, you know, uh, I, I, don't think, I don't think that particular swap was a win. I do think that the Jordan Cameron acquisition for Miami was a spectacular bit of business. It caught me off guard, too. I would, I would have bet money, in fact, that Cameron was going to re-sign in Cleveland. But, you know, uh, 
Miami's not that far off from being a playoff team. I think they tried to get better. I don't understand them. Uh, it had to be a money thing, not keeping Brian Hartline. But, uh, you know, I think they're trying to get better. Um, they've got they've got a decent leadership system in place there that is pushing for the right things. I don't know if they accomplished them, but uh, it's going to definitely be interesting to watch uh, what happens down there on the offensive side of the football. Yeah, and then they obviously also brought in Ndamukong Sue, which is probably the biggest move. Um, I want to point out three uh, other moves that were interesting to me. So you can kind of uh, comment on each of those. One, the Raiders brought in Roy Hulu. I like that. And then they did Raider-like things and signed Trent Richardson. Don't get that. Uh, Andre Johnson has a chance to win his first game up in Indianapolis because he signed with the Colts. And Dwayne Bowe mm-hmm. may be looking to go for a second consecutive year without catching a touchdown pass as he goes to Cleveland. Any thoughts on those three moves or anything else you want here in the last minute or so that we have? Real quick, I don't mind the Trent Richardson signing in Oakland. Uh, as much as he has not justified his first-round draft position, I still think he can be an excellent short yardage back in goal line situations. Um, the Roy Hallou, uh signing, uh, you know, I don't get it necessarily – it's. Uh, I think that they really need to see what they have in Latavius Murray and give him a full season as the bell cow back as far as getting 20 carries a game. Um, but, you know, uh, one of the Raiders been really known for making excellent personnel decisions. Um, well, that's what, I, <laughs> that's what I have to say about the Raiders. I try to keep that as short as possible. What was the last one you wanted uh, my opinion on? Uh, I was just saying, Dwayne Bowe, can he go over zero touchdowns again? Oh, Dwayne Bowe. No, uh, you know what? I think that he'll he's going to luck into three touchdown receptions in 2015. That's my guess. Right on. Uh, we're going to wrap it up with that. I will say we'll, we, we'll try and do another podcast on Sunday as we uh, kind of do a similar reactions uh, show but to this one to our fantasy baseball draft, kind of see uh, what went crazy there and talk about that, have a little bit of fun with that. And with that, thank you for listening. Thank you, everybody. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Sustain Sports. Awesome. Thank you, guys. All right. Bye.